The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Social Interaction for the Mind and Soul. You are listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Hemmer, along with my lovely bride, Sherry. And for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So we kind of got interrupted last time, Sherry. We got Time got away from us. Let's pick up where we were. What are we going to cover now? So we kind of want to go back to... so. We were talking about control and power and conversations. Right. And how do we navigate that control and power and conversations? We talked about that we want the control and we want to give the power to whom to whom we're listening. Well, what does that mean, control? Yeah. What does it mean to have control? That means to be able to <clears throat> keep a direction going in a positive momentum. Yeah, we don't want to control them. We don't want to take that away. And so power then would mean that they have the power to have a voice and to be understood when they're in our presence. Put this into a couple categories now as a leader. If you take away the people's power, so let's say the leader comes in and says, we're going to have a brainstorming session about the new initiative. This is what I want to do. What do you want to do? A leader should take in both control and power. Well, and the question is, say, what do you want to do? People are going to say nothing because they're going to like, you don't really care. Exactly. So an effective leader in a moment like that says, this is the goal. Here are the challenges that we've been ha- having based upon what you've told me. Help me figure out how to get from here to here. And the role of the leader is to facilitate the conversation by asking questions. Right. And then so others have a voice. And and. Once you're in that experience of of seeing that others' voices have value, when you can when you can experience the value of others, then you're not going to be that person say, "Well, I really don't care." You realize, wait, other people's um, and understanding them brings value to my experience. And go back to the scientific that fuels experience. That curiosity. It's satiable. <clears throat> When you hear other people talk and they, you can see them get excited and because they're in your space and they're being authentic and there's a passion in there, yeah. that's depth. Yeah. You're going somewhere. You're in the me pyramid and you're acting the role of a Ted. 
versus the traditional role of the Ting. Too many leaders today are Ting pins. I, I just have to say from a classroom teacher experience huh. that when I can present, um, and I teach math all day long, when I can present a math problem that's open-ended mm. and um, I don't know where the students are gonna go with their thinking, I always see things that I've never seen before. For example, I presented an image of a crowd in a stadium and just said, I want you to list as many mathematical questions you can. It looked like a football game. But it was a partial image. It was a partial image. It was like a slice and you could right. see a lot of the crowd. You could see maybe two teams and see the part of the, like a corner, of yeah. a corner of the goal. You couldn't see the whole thing. And I was so surprised by a student's response of, I wonder how many degrees the camera is angled at that took this photo. This is a second grader, yeah, right? You know, my my thinking was, okay, they're going to talk about how many people are in the stands and and the lines on the, you know, how many well, how I many know yards? What the football to, teams right. are. I want to know lots of things. Right, a lot of things you could ask from that. But what about the degrees of the angle of the camera? So I know that by throwing out a question. I'm going to learn things I'm not even expecting to learn. And that is such a much more enjoyable place to be. And by that connection, my life is richer. <clears throat> and it's satiable. Yeah, very much it's so. It's very fun. So you're talking about it even now in a framework of that was such a rich experience that you can even taste the richness today. Mm -hmm. And this is at what, half a week later? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the opposite doesn't hold water. When you're insatiable, when you're a tingpin, it's, it doesn't get better. You want more of it because it hurts. So you go back and you, you remedicate. This is a great segue back into the conversation we were having at the end of the last segment. Right. We were talking about <clears throat> Rebecca and Harshi, these two people who um, traveling in an airport, um, sharing a table um, to get a quick bite to eat between flights. So let's rehearse the entire dialogue real okay. quick. And then what I want you to do when you listen to this, if it's your first time, is ask yourself, is this conversation going vertical? In other words, are we making some progress towards trust and respect? Or is it just floating on the surface, a very horizontal, typical type shallow. of a shallow so, conversation that we usually have at airports and on the airplane? Right. So, and I love this example because we can do this anywhere, anytime. These are easy. These are, it's a non-threatening situation. Exactly. So here we go. Is it okay if I share your table? Sure, have a seat. My name is Rebecca. What's yours? Oh, hi, Rebecca. My name is Harshi. Harshi. How do you spell that? H-A-R-S-H-I. You know, I'm not familiar with your name. What is its origin? Well, my grandparents are from India. I'm named after my grandmother. And what was your grandmother like? Um, she died when I was very young, and my memory of her is mostly through the stories my mother shares. Why did your parents name you after your grandmother? Well, Harshi means joyous. My grandmother was a Christian, or I should say she converted to Christianity. So her life was really difficult until she came to America. What happened when she came to America? All right. Now we want to go ahead and dissect that, right? Um, so let's go over what we know vertically versus horizontally. And we want to kind of address that from where we were. Starting at the beginning, is it okay if I share your table? That's pretty normal. But then I say, what's your name? Or my name is, is Rebecca. What's yours? And we talked about last time, what does that mean when we say, what's yours? Why is that different than just, hi, my name is Rebecca? 
Well, sometimes we wait for them to share. Um, maybe we're afraid to ask because they might think we're stalking them or something like that. <laughs> but in this regard, it's more of like a common courtesy. <laughs> Honestly, people feel like I don't want to be too interested in people because then they'll think I'm weird. Like, okay. like that is a bigger problem than they think that's a bigger problem than um, can right. I really, can we connect and have a trusting relationship? Fair statement. Sorry. Just didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So about that one. I said, um, you said harshy and notice what happens in that moment. It's new to me. And as I mentioned last time that I'll actually ask them to spell a name if they mumble it, you know, even if they say, Steven. You know, I don't know what they said, but what you do is unique. Why don't you tell me what you do when people oh, give you your name? Oh, my air typing. So it's just this fetish I've had. Um, before I learned how to type, I wanted to spell. I don't ever remember not doing this, but any word or um, pretty much anything that's I'm listening to, I am typing out on my fingers in the air, but not actually moving my fingers. I'm thinking I which think fingers brilliant. would be striking the the yeah. keyboard. So I'm when constantly I, spelling. It put me at the top of my, the city spelling bee <laughs> in 1974. <laughs> Sorry. I wish you could have seen her face. <laughs> <laughs> I was tinging right then, wasn't yeah, I? Was, no, I asked you. That was you tinging is when it was on. Spelling bee championship. Oh, that's but, true. But it was just, it's a fetish. It's like this <laughs> habit I can't break, but it's a pretty cool one, actually. Okay. Well, when I, <laughs> when, if I don't say so myself, right. when I practice it, it's worked marvelously. So you've taken on my habit. <clears throat> it's not hab habituated much like as much as I want it to be. Let's just say that. Okay. I have room for growth. Okay. I'm not familiar with your name. What is its origin? And last time we got to this point, but that's a tipping point. Typically what happens in this time is they will then bring it back to themselves. It'll be a ting situation. They'll say something like, oh, yeah, well, my, my name, I'm named after a king. Well, there's almost that sense in um, a pause in a conversation where people think they're supposed to fill the space. Oh, silence is just brutal. And instead of keeping that power in the seat of the person whom, to whom they're listening. So Rebecca, in this case, by you know asking about how to even spell it, increased the interest in that person. Right. So again... Compare vertical versus horizontal. Mm -hmm. So when we go horizontal, we ting. We start talking about ourselves. We're filling space. Right. But when we are Ted's, we'll take it vertical and we'll be interested in them. And the depth <clears throat> in this vertical <clears throat> experience really happens when Harshi can connect to her grandparents, to her family's history. Right. That's depth. It's so, not just about... Um, my plane leaves in 10 minutes. I'm not familiar with your name. What is its origin? Now introduces the ability for you to go vertical. Now here's another thing that we teach in trust and respect conversations is permission interviewing. That means you always have permission to talk about their answer. Because lots of people will say, well, I don't want to get personal with someone. You know, the stalking scenario. Right. Well, of course you don't want to do that because you weren't given permission to. But if you give me permission to talk about your family, then it's only polite for me to oblige you by asking questions that are neutral in its origin. That's vertical. And that's permission interviewing. And that's how you establish trust in the space. Because first of all, you one, trust yourself. You two, respect yourself. 
and that's going to be reciprocated. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. <clears throat> my parent, or my grandparents are from India, and I'm named after grandma. What was the next question then? And did this go vertical mm -hmm. or horizontal? What was your grandmother like? So that's a key question um, because it wasn't like, oh, well, that's nice. And that's where we usually go. We end it there. Like we're not more comfortable with what was she like? This person that you're named after. Do you see there's curiosity behind that? Right. That's fueling that idea of what was your grandmother like? And it sounds simple enough to say, but when you really think about it, you have to keep this continuum of interest in the other person. And that's where you're giving them power. And that's also where you're in control. But I need to do a quick um, identification here of what's going on. What you're doing in this space right now is creating an environment, not only about them, but you're not afraid to take the next step. Too many people argue, I'm just not that way. You know, my friend can do that. They can talk all day. No, this is a learned skill. Tingpins are that way because they're extroverts, but it's not a learned skill. It's something they've just acquired over time. This is a deliberately practiced, learned skill that anybody can develop. Can I argue with you? Argue away. It's not On the, the first whole, time. I know. This is a little sidebar, but the whole extrovert, introvert thing, because a, a tingpin can be an introvert. Can I throw that in there? Oh, I wasn't saying that's not possible. Okay. So I'm Just in harmony with it. Because it's really about the energy right. that where people, extroverts and introverts go. But Well said. Right. Um, Anything else you want to argue about since we're no, here? No, that was it. That was just it. Then she says, <laughs> what was grandma like? And she tells her the story the best she could, mm -hmm. right? But then she didn't leave it at that. So she says, um, she died young. My memory is those of the story my mother shared. And then we talked about why that she named her that way. Mm -hmm. And then when she said her adult life was difficult because she converted to Christianity in a non-Christian country. Right. And then she says, what happened? Notice the depth and the potential where this can go. Yeah. And <clears throat> Rebecca's not having to say much. She's letting and keeping the continuum of this conversation keep going deeper because she just says, what happened next? It's the natural thing to mm -hmm. say. It's, it's not like she has to come up with some brilliant question. It's connected to what Harshi just said. So I want to give another illustration of the power of this. We have a lot more that we wanted to cover. But because of time, Sherry, I want to be able to cover a couple of things that I think are critical. So let's go to um, this story that happened during training uh, years ago. Yeah, years ago, I was... Um, training on this trust and respect conversation, TRC. And what I would do is I would, it was over multiple days. The first day I'd put them in a room. You were in a workshop. With, in a workshop. With and I'd have them pair off into threes. Um, and then there'd be someone who's doing the interviewing, someone who's being interviewed, and then a coach kind of watching what was going on. And then when they'd finish the little five to eight minute segments, I'd have the coach Simply ask, how'd it go for you? How'd it go for you? What did you guys notice? And here's my takeaway. So everybody got a, a fair chance to be heard in the story. And then everybody would rotate, and we would do this multiple times. The first time through, people hated it. <clears throat> they felt awkward. Oh, man, they were uncomfortable. It and they said, you know, it was only five minutes long. And I sa I'd say, well, how long did that seem like to you? And they go, well, we were looking at our clocks. It seemed like forever. Because they won we're uncomfortable with even going vertical 
They were afraid to ask the questions that needed to be asked. And then silence killed them. Right. And these were people that were paired with people they really didn't they know. They met at the, the workshop. For right. The first so time. they're 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 pretty much still just kind of strangers. Right. In the I don't do this with husbands and wives. Right. Kind of like meeting at the airport. Kind of like there. Day two, after we've had a lot more learning and some somewhat of role playing in the workshop, we do it again. And so this is I'm going to pick up the story of what happened when we did it again with um, Kyle and Rachel. Mm -hmm. So I, they went in. They were actually in the kitchen in this facility. Um, and I walked in four minutes. It was an eight minute segment. I walked in four minutes into it. And as I walk in. The person asking the question is filled with tears. The person answering the question is filled with tears. Now, the person asking the question is female. The person answering them was male. He was the owner and CEO of his company. Um, the other person was just uh, uh, had another job. She worked for somebody, right? And I just sat, listened, and you could feel it. You could cut the feeling in the room with a knife. It was so thick. The emotions were huge. And they were talking about something very personal to Kyle. And um, Rachel was the one just asking questions, and she was marvelous. She mostly listened, but she would throw in, well, what happened? What was that like? What happened? <clears throat> Little small questions, keep right? Keep that momentum going for the person. And we stayed on topic. She was able to keep it on topic so Kyle could fully explain. And then the time was up, and I didn't have the heart to stop him. So I left the room, went and stopped everyone else told them to meet in the conference room, came back in while they were still going. And I said, guys, we've got to wrap it up. And then they, they gave each other this big hug. And then they walked into both of them still tearing up, walked into the conference room. And then I had everyone else debrief first. So, I mean, a natural question would be, so why the tears? Was this a sad story? Why, why this strong emotional response? From age 10 to 14, we want the world to know who we are. How many adults really have a conversation about them that's neutral. Uh, when when you were raising, well, I, I partially helped, our children. <laughs> <clears throat> when we raised our kids. When I'd come home from work, you would just take off on me. Boom, 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 boom. Not because you um, were a teenager. When they were little. Because you had no adults to talk to, right? right? Every time I've done this with anybody, it doesn't matter if I'm in St. Louis, Chicago, or Denver. I could just be downtown Gig Harbor. Whenever I've asked an adult about them and kept it on them, they will talk to me and talk to me and talk to me. They will tell me their life story. I know I know stories about people where they met their husband, how he first kissed her, how he proposed to her, everything. All five children, where they go to school. And these are 50, 60-year-old people as well as 30 and 40-year-olds. Why? It's permission interviewing. Because we're hardwired to connect. We want to tell people our story. This is how you build trust and respect. So here's, the, here's how it came out. As they debriefed, here's what Kyle said. Um, someone asked him, he was telling but this was so amazing. It was so personal. She did such a great job at asking me these questions. And then he started tearing up again. He says, the problem is, the only time my wife and I ever have these kinds of conversations is after a really angry fight. When we make up, then we can talk about that. And it, now it hurts me that a girl I met first time yesterday in my life, I just shared some of the most intimate, private things with her, 
because it felt so safe. It just felt right to be able to share with her things of that nature. That's permission interviewing. They went vertical. She lived in the U pyramid. She completely controlled the direction of the conversation. And, and gave, gave the power him, to Kyle. And gave him permission to talk mm -hmm. about it. It was just uplifting for everyone in the whole in the whole facility. And the thing is, this is not the first time or the last time I've seen that happen. It's something that can be replicated. <clears throat> and, and it doesn't mean like every conversation you're going to go, I'm, my goal is to make this person get to the roots of, of something and make them cry. No, it's that you have the ability to make connections that will create trust in any kind of relationship. That's it. See, the, the idea that we're working on is, one, we started months ago in, in this podcast talking about flipping, right? Mm -hmm. Frequent, low-risk, personal, positive, and neutral. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. We move from flipping through these different areas that we've talked about. Ultimately, we want to get to this point of permission interviewing or the trust and respect conversation. It cannot happen when you're trying to get someone to agree with you, when you're blaming people, when you're justifying your position or you're in denial. If you're seeking the three A's, none of this is going to happen. You can only do it inside of what we call the, the U pyramid. When um, Rachel was interviewing Kyle, she saw Kyle as a human. Kyle responded in kind. Now, they were set up in an exercise to do that. Completely framed. Right. But it is just a shift. So it's not like this is something you have to work on for weeks and weeks. You literally can shift how you see a person. But when we're not seeing them and we're seeing them as an object and we're stuck in that, I have to get them to agree with me. There you go. There you go. They're an object. <clears throat> we can shift right back into that trap of the me pyramid. When, when we get into that, I have to be right, we're all about who is right at the expense of what is right. Now, they weren't arguing. Rachel and Kyle weren't arguing. She was just asking him questions, much like Rebecca asked Harshi, right? But when we're in leadership positions, when we're dealing with direct reports or coworkers or family members, too often our communication style is to get the others to agree with our position. There was something I meant to mention earlier, and this is kind of important. When we talk with other people, we need to understand Econ 101 here. You know, we're always trying to get our, our points across, right? We want to be right. That's agreement seeking. Well, how many people really want to hear your opinion? If your opinion is ubiquitous, it's got a huge supply. In the supply and demand world of things, what's the demand for your opinion? So in the last segment, we asked them, the last two segments, we've asked them to do homework, right? To practice something. Mm -hmm. A three, three, three. What was the three, three, three? Three conversations um, for three minutes, asking three questions, and then out, taking the time to reflect and make some observations about it. <clears throat> we also threw out the, the piece of homework of um, trying to go 24 hours with any unsolicited opinions. Right. So if you could go 24 hours without offering an unsolicited opinion, how many people ask you your opinion? We ask them to kind of think about that. So try that again. Go for the next day. Try not to offer an opinion unless solicited. And then count how many people ask you your opinion. Now, this only works if you're not in a position where people are asking you. Just in everyday conversation, socially, at home, etc. <clears throat> and that's not as dad, can I go to, to you know, Billy's house? 
And you'll find that very few people really want your opinion, especially if you're a ting. There's just no demand for the ubiquitous supply that we offer the world. And this is why we're struggling as a society to connect. Everybody's trying to go horizontal in the agreement-seeking mode in the me pyramid at the expense of a vertical in the you pyramid mode seeking understanding. It makes a significant difference. Remember, every conversation that you start, and we're going to wrap this up here, every conversation that you start, at least from my perspective, and this is how we date it, do I have enough information to go on to develop further trust and respect for this person? Can I take it to the next level? Yes or no. If I can take it to the next level, then I do. If I can't, that's because rules of engagement have been violated. It's not safe space. They're either tinging on me, they're seeking the three A's, or it's just not safe space for whatever ever other reason. So those are kind of the takeaways. So what other takeaways might you have? And then we'll... Well, I, I think just the simplicity of letting the momentum in a conversation go, that when you have the control, you're the person that's asking the questions of what happens next. Next, What did that mean for you? What did that feel for you? Right. And you're giving power. And so it's really that concept of sharing power and control um, with both of you. And and the roles can flip within a conversation. That does happen. Ideally. And it's a beautiful, ideally, it be, does happen. Uh. But it's not this, oh, I need to learn a bunch of conversation skills. It's really being aware of, one, your natural curiosity of others being interested in them right. and asking the natural question that would keep that interest flowing. Well said. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciated having this discussion here. I appreciate my wife. She brings such a value to the table. Um, in our next segment. Besides the great spelling skills. Yes. And you were the top in the city from what I understand. Where um, <laughs> TJ is in the room. TJ Hoisington is going to be my guest in the next segment. I'm looking forward to this. And we're going to talk about self-love and an, uh, based an article that you wrote in LinkedIn and other places that you've got some interesting feedback. So I'm looking forward to having this discussion and I'll bid you adieu. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next segment. Remember, perfect is the way you want to live your life. Perfect is a mistake that gets a retake. Everything that happens to us is exactly what we need at that moment to get better. So we bid you adieu. We'll talk to you soon. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day. These never-ending worries falling on my sleeve. So many times now I was... The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, -face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. 
Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.